0: Watermark Golf Media. He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm he's pounding right up like a no bandit run. Uh, the ball. late great Jerry Reed. What a great song. No, turn it back up. Let me. I want to hear it while we talk. The reason we are beginning the podcast with Eastbound and Down from the cinematic masterpiece from 1978, Smokey and the Bandit," is because we recorded this podcast on the road. We went to Biloxi, Mississippi for the Deep South Turf Expo, and we sat down with Pat Jones, who's the publisher and editorial director of Golf Course Industry Magazine. He was kind enough to sit down and record a live podcast in front of an audience. I will say this, where we were recording was in the main hall, of the convention center, so you'll hear a little echo, and we also had a few technical difficulties when we started the podcast, so at some points, my microphone is a little louder than Pat's, and it's because, not to get too far off in the weeds, but we weren't able to record on two different channels, we had to record it all layered together, so I, we couldn't go back and, and edit much of it, but I think it turns out pretty good, I think you'll enjoy it. This episode is about 45 minutes, so I'll see you on the other side of it. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy Pat Jones in the conversation on the Lipouts podcast.
1: In a world where talk is cheap, someone should be paying you to listen to this podcast. It's the Lip Outs Podcast with your host, golf course architect, author, and former looper for the llama, Nathan Crace. And now, from deep within the recesses of the basement beneath the studio at Watermark Golf Media, the man of the hour, the tower of power, too sweet to be sour, make you say, woo, like Jerry Clower. Ladies and gentlemen, Nathan Crace.
0: Thank you. This is the Lip House Podcast. We're going to do something a little different for this episode. We are actually not in studio. We are on location. We're in sunny, not very warm this morning, Biloxi, Mississippi, at the Mississippi Coast Coliseum and Convention Center where they are hosting the fourth annual Deep South Turf Expo. And I'm joined this morning by the one and the only keynote speaker, actually, for <laughs> this, uh, this expo. The one and the only, you know him, you love him, Mr. Pat Jones. Welcome, Pat. Uh,
1: you, you know what keynote speaker translates to? What? It's willing to work cheap. There you go. <laughs> No, I'm happy to be here, and I'm delighted that you're doing this. I think it's a great idea, and you always have good things to share, so I'm happy to be here with you, Nathan.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Uh, we had a couple of technical difficulties this morning. We worked through that, and our live audience here with us, uh, so...
1: Yep, just stay back, everybody. Yeah, Try to stay back.
0: We can... Pat will do autographs after the <laughs> podcast, so if you would just give him, give him a second. So... Uh, How was your trip coming in?
1: It was great. I I have an affinity for this part of the country. And uh, my my wife is from Louisiana, so we stopped and saw some family on the way down here. And mostly we ate and ate and ate.
0: That's easy to do. Yes. Um, You know, of course, we're sitting here uh, as we record this on Wednesday morning, the 28th. Uh, about 36 hours ago, the president was in the building next oh, yeah. door to rally. So, I'd still like to think you're the biggest celebrity here in the last. He called me
1: years. and he said, "He said, Pat, would you come over and uh, you know uh, lend some legitimacy to my rally here?" And, and I said, no, "Mr. President, I'm sorry, my my wife needs me to uh, do anything besides that." So, so anyway, yeah.
0: That that's similar. I heard actually that he was uh, doing crowd warm up for you. So, so here we go. Uh, for those of you who don't know, though, don't make me talk about Trump. No, I'm it won't just, end well. We we are apolitical. Are on the we? Lip lipouts podcast. Okay, good. Yeah, I'll yeah, that yeah. we're family friendly and apolitical, um, as more people should be. So anyway, uh, for those of you who don't know, Pat is the publisher and editorial director of uh, GIE Media, the parent company of Golf Horse Industry Magazine, and and a lot of those of you listening are probably familiar with that magazine. Um, And you've been there since 2010.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been... uh, really, before that, I started writing as a as a columnist for them in uh, 2006, I think it was, after I managed to get myself fired from my old <laughs> gig. Uh, I started a thing called Golf to Magazine, and I, I, I didn't work and play well in large corporate settings, uh, so these folks were kind enough to take me in like a stray off the street and uh, give me an opportunity to... Run Golf Course Industry Magazine and be a part of the company. It's a it's a very cool group. We got about 120 people. We uh, publish magazines in 20 different markets. Uh, obviously, golf, uh, lawn care, the Lawn and Landscape Magazine is uh, the number one magazine in that market. Pest control technology a uh, bunch of others and then of course we got into the ganja business a couple of years ago we have a ganja magazine uh wee, wacky weed magazine <laughs> a, a Kush publication uh called cannabis business times so every time i, I, I mention that during the course of doing a speech or whatever I, I will i will always have a few superintendents wander up afterwards and say hey so tell me more about that cannabis <laughs> publication. <laughs> uh,
0: Ironically, one magazine to grow weed and another to kill them.
1: Ah, well done. Thank you very much. Yep, that's true. And, uh, but it, it's a fascinating business because it's in such flux, and uh, it, you know, it's growing rapidly, and everybody I talk to says, well, when's the best time to get in? And, and the best time to get in is 10 years ago. Right. So it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how that changes. Very high tech. Uh, you can learn a lot from them in terms of what they do for, with sustainability practices and hydroponics and things like that. But it's, it's fascinating to watch that business go through a bit of a, a, a boom and bubble uh, just the way golf did 15 years ago. Hmm. Think we can learn anything lessons? Think it's tied to the economy? Eh, maybe a little bit, but uh, no. It's 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 high time. <laughs> Get it that we did <laughs> this, uh, and, and my company's uh, been you know very uh, engaged in this. We have two magazines now in the cannabis industry and a trade show, so it's it's that uh, it's that dynamic.
0: Right. Oh, you know, it really is amazing how just in the last ten or so years, um, how that entire industry has has evolved. And I know my parents and my kids may be listening to this, so I do want to say I have never smoked marijuana. Good, um, good but, for you. <laughs> so, uh, but I do understand. I mean, California uh, just passed some new legislation uh, where it's no longer medical; it's recreational. Right. Uh, that so ef-
1: well, that that was uh, actually about a year ago, and it effectively doubled this, the size of the legal cannabis market in the United States when when, when California just went, in California. Yeah, when California went to I med- went to recreational. I think there's 36 states now that have some form of legal legal marijuana. So, you know, it is what it is. It it drives me nuts when you see cannabis advocates saying, oh, it cures cancer and all that, you know, does all these other things. It it doesn't. Right. Uh, But but I can tell you as someone who has a history of addiction problems, I'm an alcoholic and I've been in recovery for nine years. Um, I, I personally think that cannabis is a lot less dangerous. Uh, than than alcohol uh, over time, particularly for people with addiction problems. But we have strayed far afield from our original topic here. <laughs> well, I don't know.
0: You start talking about alcohol, you're not that far removed from the golf industry. Yeah,
1: well, well, uh, I think it's better than it used to be. I really do. I, I don't. I, I don't. I think our culture has improved in that in that sense, and we're not all out till four o'clock in the morning. Uh, like we used to be back right. in the old days, so it, it's a healthier industry overall. And it, and I'll just put in a quick plug too. Uh, our December issue, our Turf Heads Takeover issue, which you've contributed to, uh, is is largely dedicated this year to uh, mental health and and stress and anxiety and uh, this idea of, of talking about uh, this disease that affects many people in different ways. So it, we've got uh, uh, about a dozen contributions from super superintendents and other folks who, who have something to say about mental health. And, and I, I think it's exciting uh, because I, I, I think that, that this last year was another year from hell uh, <laughs> and, and all, all over the country in different ways. So so it, it did, I think, push the stress to the limit for a lot of people and they began to discover that it wasn't just stress it was physical symptoms of anxiety and and really challenging and and then self-medicating so we're we're going to address a lot of those things and and hopefully do what we do best which is to provoke a conversation
0: no and i did see where that was the focus of the upcoming issue and i was happy to see that you know i read one time years ago that uh, superintendent golf course superintendents were among the highest divorce rates, which I can understand. Yeah. Um, right up there with police officers because the the time required to put into the job and the hours and the weekends and the holidays and all that. So I was glad to see that topic. I
1: think around. it's I think that's improved too, though. I this this whole this whole effort for work life balance has 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 been very important. And and you know say what you will about millennials or whatever you like to call them is is it's. it's it's not negotiable for a lot of them, and they feel like they ought to be able to have a life and do this sure. job. And, and I don't, I don't disagree with that.
0: Well, let's dive into something a little lighter. Oh, let's do. <laughs> did you get a chance to watch the match with Tiger and Phil?
1: <laughs> no, I did not. I, 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 I think I, I was out raking leaves or something like that. No, I, you know, I thought about that, and what I thought about was my. My fellow Clevelander, the late, great Mark McCormick, uh, who was uh, the founder of IMG and Arnold Palmer's original manager and everything, that somewhere up in heaven that, our, that Mark McCormick was smiling, because that's what this was. was a made-for-TV, let's-all-go-to-the-bank-and-cash-in kind of deal. And I didn't see the final numbers on... How did they do on, uh, on their pay-per-view numbers?
0: Um... $20 is $20 a person they, times oh you ha- you literally have not seen the news no. they had to refund every bit of it no they really? had they had a technical difficulty right before the <laughs> right before the match started and I, I literally saw a tweet and i can't remember who it was from and they said i'm not paying for this but i'm able to watch it and so of course everybody followed the link and out of curiosity i did too and you could watch the match and not pay for it and so as the, as it went on and went on and drug on through the four or five hours, however long it took more people <laughs> made that comment. And so I think uh, Turner or whoever was doing the broadcast came out and said, well, we had a technical glitch. So we just gave it away for free to everybody to make sure that the people who were paying for it could see it. And so now they've had to turn around and refund every bit of it.
1: Wow. Wow. So Phil and tiger didn't get the bigger payday. They thought they might get, I honestly didn't know that. Um, great whatever you know I still think I mean it's fun does that kind of thing really help golf it's it's worse things you know the old skins game was a fun thing
0: I miss the skins game I do miss the skins game that was a lot of fun although I was sitting there watching the banter or lack thereof between the (laughs) two of them especially when it got into the back nine and and you could tell that they were a little more focused on the golf than the interaction with the, the few fans that were there and I thought how great would this be in this format in this day and age, if you could magically transport Lee Trevino right. and Chichi Rodriguez from, their, from the peak of their career and put them in this format interacting with yeah. everybody, it would have been so much better. Not, not knocking yeah. Phil or Tiger, but well, maybe knocking him a little bit. But when there's $9 million on the line, although if they had been playing for their own $9 million, I think that would have added a, a, another layer of interest.
1: Yeah but I, 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 it's fascinating that they gave up all that revenue because that was projected as substantial amount of pay-per-view revenue, so I, I honestly didn't know that, but you know, it, it, I, I think there are things that are good for golf, and, and things that are just kind of showboat. Somebody's going to make a ton of money. I feel the same way about top golf, if you want to talk about that in a bit. but, but the, the, the real thing that's going to grow golf and help golf is taking kids to go play. And introducing them to the game and making golf part of school curriculums around the country. And, and you know, I, I, I'm i going to go give a speech here shortly about the, the state of the industry. And one of the things I firmly believe that, that I uh, turned around on was up until a few years ago, I really believe we were in deep trouble with kids. You know, that kids were more interested in playing with devices or video games or anything but golf. And that golf was just not going to appeal to anybody. And then, unfortunately, along came CTE concussions, and, and so suddenly you have an, uh 30 to 40 percent reductions in the number of kids playing little league football right. from even five or six years ago. And lacrosse has been affected, and, and frankly, soccer people don't think about this. Soccer has the highest concussion rate of any sport, so particularly among girls. So, so where do where do parents turn? Specifically, where do mommies? Because mommies run the world. In case you haven't noticed. Oh no, I, I <laughs> you're that yeah, good. I'm yeah. glad you caught on to that. That's a yeah. that's an important key that to success is. in life. Um, <laughs> so so mommies are going to look for some place to to get their kids in, into in, in lifetime sports and opportunities. And I think golf's right there. So I, I think if we continue to position golf as exercise and fitness and fun and something you can do for a lifetime rather than overly emphasizing scores and rules and uh, and you know uh, club uh, dress codes and all that junk um, I, I, th- I think if we get out of our own way the mommies are going to help us a lot so I, I see that as an important thing in the future uh, less so than things like publicity stunts with Tiger and Phil.
0: Yeah you know and I, I can't verify this, but I I did understand that originally they were going to play for ten million dollars. You know, this came up back around the time of the Masters, right. and I think Phil actually floated the idea, and then it just kind of went away for a while. And in the last two months leading up to the match, uh, is when all of a sudden you started hearing about this build-up. About it. I think they realized the date was was upon them, and they right. had to work out some details. But it's my understanding that. The original ten million dollars had to be knocked down to nine million dollars to keep the tour off their back because of the ten million dollar payout for the FedEx Cup.
1: <laughs> okay. So again, I, 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 on the list of organizations <laughs> that, that aren't really all that concerned about what you and I think of as golf, uh, I would put the tour pretty high on that list too. So
0: well, and I do. You know, you mentioned kids getting into it um, years ago, and I say years ago. This is maybe three, four, or five years ago. Uh, my youngest son, we were talking about golf, and I said something about Tiger Woods, and he's like, nah, eh, he's old. Right. You that's know? right. And so then along came uh, Ricky Fowler, yeah. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, and, you know, and these guys, and you see them out there having fun, and they're taking their own social media, and they're doing their spring Snapchat, break every year. baby.
1: It's all about and, Snapchat. Yeah,
0: and that's the type of thing that's going to draw kids into yep. it when they see that the game is fun, <clears throat> ironically. As we sit here today, the ASGCA is having a meeting in Pinehurst, and I elected to come here with you instead of play golf at Pinehurst number two. So you're welcome. Yes. Um, but no. Anyway, they and the focus there one one main focus they're going to have is on the long leaf tea initiative, right. and adding more teas for more flexibility. We're doing the same thing at the renovation at the refuge, where the golf course, when it reopens next year, will play from forty five hundred yards at the front all the way to seven thousand and forty five yards was, at the back.
1: That's fantastic. How did you? How did you? Encourage the club to adopt that culture, were they ready to do that, or was it something you kind of had to gently nudge them along for
0: they it did it did not take a lot of nudging when we explained to them that there's not a lot of cost involved. Mm-hmm. We were renovating the course anyway, so it just kind of became a part of it and rather than including that in the construction cost, the golf course staff. Took care of those new forward tees, right. or what we're calling the family tees, right. um, as part of the uh, concurrently with the with the renovation,
1: right? O- o- over on the uh, superintendent radio network podcasts, uh, you can find I think a conversation with both Jan Bell Jan and uh, Bill Bergen about yes. long-leaf So if you're interested in that, you can go over and check that out. But, yeah, I think, I think it's terrific. And, again, as you point out, the costs are relatively minimal uh, if you're already doing some work or if right. you want to do them with in-house labor and you've got that opportunity. It's a great idea.
0: Well, and as Jan and Bill both have pointed out at, at our meetings and elsewhere – the key is you're not just going out and sticking t markers in a flat spot in the fairway. We're actually building T's right. so that, and it's not just kids. You have some older seniors and beginners and Sign people who, it, who may want to. I,
1: I want to play from a tee where, you know, I'm a 28. I suck. You know, and, and I but I want to play from a tee where I at least have the illusion that I might make birdie if I hit two good shots. <laughs> you know, so so you, you feel that way. So I, and, and I play. I've always been a little uncomfortable with calling the local club. You know, I live very close to Canterbury and Shaker country club and stuff like that. And, and uh, people are always generous and in, in inviting you to come play, but I'm never really that comfortable with it. And honestly, I end up at the Cleveland Metro parks courses a lot. And right. I just walk up and pay my 18 bucks like everybody else. And, and I'll be playing with guys that are that, poor pe- people, couples that, that you meet. And, and inevitably, they want to play from the backs. That's just what they think golf right. is supposed to be. And, and they see me up on the gold tees or whatever <laughs> they are, and about four or five holes in, they're saying like, "Hey, what's it like down there?" You know. Right. And and I, and I encourage them to come join me.
0: Well, the, tea, you know, the idea behind multiple tees is so that you play from the set of tees you're most comfortable right. with, but people naturally gravitate toward playing golf with people of the same or like ability. Right. And so you start gravitating toward that tee. And I've played in tournaments before where there are guys who get to play up a tee and uh, get to play back a tee based on – I always feel uncomfortable. Well, in fact, when we played um, at Champions – uh in houston back this spring during our annual meeting i was paired with um trip davis Mm -hmm. very good player jim light very good player Uh, but because of our handicaps i was actually supposed to play from the set of tees in front of them That wasn't going to (laughs) happen. I was not going to get off the cart and go up to the next tee. So we all played from the same tee. That's my own personal problem. I understand. Um, But that—that's just human nature, and and it's a kind of a guy thing too, I guess. But um, the beauty of (laughs) the long leaf tee system, and you know, Bill actually started this with the uh, U.S. Kids Golf Mm -hmm. in North Carolina on a project. But the thing that I like about it is they eliminate gender and they eliminate. Uh, Oh, it's based on ability. They even take the color and flip the colors where the red is the back and the, well, they have so many teeth, like purple is down on the front. What we're doing at the refuge is we are going to eliminate color altogether. Right,
1: just have objects or something. And,
0: well, the logo for the golf course is a duck and so we're going to name each set of teas after a different type of duck so you'll have a wood duck tea you'll have a pintail and a gadwall and a yeah, mallard and that I type like of it. thing so
1: i think anything you do like that too and this gets back to how you i think encourage the club to adopt this it's branding it's something that separates yes. you from the other fourteen thousand nine hundred and seventy golf courses in the united states out right. there that you're sort of competing against so anything that you can do that creates that brand and that affinity and makes people happy to, to come there and be a part of it
0: there you is, go. is a good thing
1: <laughs> so you know and, and and i and i think superintendents play an important role in this uh in 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 you don't think about branding and golf course superintendents, but it's things like that. It's being creative about tee markers. It's being creative about signage. It's putting, you know, putting uh, little reminders on the golf course. Our friend Matthew Wharton at uh, Carolina Golf Club yeah. has done some terrific things there to, to remind people about Donald Ross and who he was and what he contributed. And, and so we all need to be part of that, that brand Right. Um, you know, where, where you get reminded of that a lot is uh, with the Marriott courses. You know, they're, they're, they're all about hospitality and, and the Club Corp courses, you know, and, and remembering that that we're in this, this business of hospitality and not just a business of, of generating scores and rounds and things like that. Right. So, you know, I, I'm, again, I'm heartened by a lot of this kind of stuff to see it. Where do you think we're at in the remodeling boom? Do you think we're... You know? Do you think we're and and I kind of really think it started it during the recession. You know? I, no, I,
0: I do too. And I will say this: um, I found about six or so years ago, we started in our office. We started doing a lot of short game practice facilities, and I think it was a, a combination of a few things. First of all courses still wanted to do something for the members mm-hmm. or for the uh, the golfers, the customer, and they wanted to have something new, but they didn't want to spend the money to renovate the entire golf right. course. Right. And, and um,
1: recognizing that, that time is an issue and, and that, that not that's has the second has five component. hours to, to go out and go right. to full round.
0: That was the second component. You can go out and you can uh, spend an hour on a short game facility and have a good time, that's take right. your kids out there. It's good thing for kids. good and, thing to do with
1: families, right? And, 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 that's, and I love that because I, I'm not a huge fan of junior golf programs junior golf programs kind of feel like babysitting sometimes so but I think anything like these where you're encouraging families to play together I think it's awesome
0: well I think also it you know i did in the course of five years or six years maybe five short game facilities at different golf courses and i think a lot of the reason behind uh, people coming to me for that is in a former life i was a golf professional right. and i uh, gave a lot of lessons and I, I gravitated toward the short game when i was 10 11 years old i built a three-hole short course on my parents property in in uh, indiana and that's where i learned how to play so i'd always been around the short game and we kind of found a little niche for that um and in fact i don't i'll have to introduce you to him here at the expo at jim kaczynski from tupelo country club is here and we did a short game facility for him in conjunction with uh, the entire practice facility at tupelo Mm -hmm. country club a few years back and they had about a six acre track behind the driving range that was unused and we built a triple green and two double greens and a few bunkers and just one big fairway. And you could go out and play the holes in whatever order you wanted. You could right. sit in one spot, hit shots. You just have
1: to use the space you have. That's and everybody, right. Oh, we don't have room for it. Just find a way, you know, find some space there to do that because it's such a fun thing. And. Just, you know, reimagine practice areas. They don't have to be linear and, you know. Right. Yeah, it's, it's it's good to see people getting creative about stuff like that.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you a question, but I want to tease this, so okay. don't answer it right away. Okay. Um, golf course superintendents, uh, their ability to be influencers, not only in the industry, but at their own club. But before we get into that, I want to talk about our sponsor, HavePaintGunWillTravel.com. Really? Really? Christmas is right around the corner if you have a golfer on your Christmas list and you want a unique gift that they can find nowhere else. We have magnetic ball markers, ball caps with a unique Have Paint Gun Will Travel logo on top, only available at havepaintgunwilltravel.com. Quantities are limited, don't miss out. Go order today.
1: Well, thanks for taking care of Christmas for me now. I know where to where to go for all my Christmas needs. <coughs> but, but but I've also I, I just think the the idea of paint guns and architects is just such a great <laughs> thing that, that, that I, I, I applaud you for capturing it, this. It was
0: a joke for so long, and, oh. and, then, and then literally, um, just out of the blue, I think in back in February, we actually started doing something with right. it, and that was, that was a lot of fun. I don't
1: know who, who originally said it, but I, the, the way it was quoted to me was, way back when, was there's nothing more terrifying or expensive than a golf course architect with a paint gun in his hand.
0: We do some of our best work with paint guns, I, I, I understand. Mean, I
1: get on. it. I get it. <laughs> So anyway, so yeah. But
0: at, uh superintendents, as influencers, I have uh, more often than not, the superintendent is the person at the golf course who calls me mm-hmm. to come look at a project. It is rarely the general manager or the golf professional, usually the golf course superintendent. Uh, and then we'll go around, we'll ride the golf course, we'll look at what they have going on. And then through the course of conversation, more than, well, i say the majority, but a lot of times they say, well, I, they don't really listen to what I have to say. I need you to tell them right, exactly. what we want to do. You're the do. guy from out of town with a briefcase. Right. But I do think superintendents have a lot more influence than maybe they give themselves credit for. And I think well, there are plenty of examples of that, but I was hoping you might mm-hmm. kind of build up their uh, ego a little bit and well, explain no, why.
1: I, I agree 100%. And, 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 but I think it's something you have to do over time. You have to have a bit of a strategy to... to to communicate what the needs are and sell something to the membership and, and you know people ask me a lot about social media you know well how do I how do I use Facebook or how do I use Twitter effectively inside my club I love lo- trading stuff with my friends but what do I what can I do to to, to influence inside the club and I, and I think one of the things you could do is begin to make this case for renovation and remodeling hey you know, uh, there's a dozen clubs in our area that are now redoing their bunkers. This is something we're going to look at. Um, you know, we uh, here's some examples. I, you know, I recently went on a tour and saw these short game practice areas in other places. Here's some pictures. Can you imagine how this could work in our place? And begin to sell the idea and to make it their idea. Right. right? It's a lot easier when it's their idea and they're going, hey, you know, Joe, we think we ought to do a short game area. Oh, really? What a great idea. So, so you know, over time, you're, you're building some support for that internally, and, and you know it's like anything else. You find a couple of advocates within your membership, maybe on your green committee or on the golf committee. You find a couple of advocates that are that are interested in doing this stuff, and you build it slowly. But but mostly you you do it from the standpoint of an economic capital plan. So you figure out okay this is a this is a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar project, and here's how, how we're going to pay for it over years, and here's how we're going to you know build up a a capital nest egg to do this. And when you do that stuff, you're not a grass monkey anymore. You're running part of the business. In fact, it's the most important part of the business. So you know, I think I think, any, I think it, it, a lot of it is about communications. A lot of it is building a case, but a lot of it is is presenting yourself as a, a business expert and not just a turf expert.
0: Right, and I I agree wholeheartedly. Um, one and
1: partnering with the right and partnering with the right designer who understands what their Absolutely. role is going to be so that you guys can ham and egg it, you know, that the, the, you do have the guy from out of town with the briefcase or the woman from out of town with the briefcase and, and, and a superintendent who you can, you can, you each know your role in this process. It's, it's very, very important.
0: Well, sure. And I look, I was the first to tell you the two most important people on a project and I'm, I'm way down the list are the superintendent and the shaper. Yeah, uh, without a good a shaper point. and without a good superintendent, it doesn't matter what my ideas are or how good the drawings are um, or really what you're spending. It, it comes down to those two people at the end right. of the day because – and I, I tell them all the time. They say, well, what would you do here? What would you do there? And we'll go back and forth and talk about it and we'll massage some ideas. But when it's all said and done and the project's grassed and I leave, they have to take care right. of it. It's so. Ultimately I'd like to leave some of those uh, finite decisions to them grass types that you know, one, type
1: of, one of the interesting things is this question of do you do it with your own staff? Do you do it with in-house labor or do you, do you reach out to uh, a GCBA part, uh, contractor or uh, you know uh, somebody who who's got experience in this business w- Where do you fall on on making how to make that decision and I know each project's going to have its own needs but but I, I think sometimes people in, in their rush to, to say, oh, we can do this for 250000 instead of a half million, will commit to using their own labor force, and that has consequences.
0: Now, one thing that most... Courses and, and ownership, or the people in charge, don't consider is is they think oh we can save money by doing it in house. They don't think about opportunity cost. You might be renovating bunkers and doing some drainage work and that type of thing. You still have to take care of the rest of the golf right. course, especially if you're trying to leave the course open right. while that's going on. Um, it, it, we actually did. I'm trying to think how many years ago it was. Now maybe five or six years ago, we had three projects in the course of two years, and one was all in house. One was 100% golf course contractor, and the other was sort of a hybrid where they did the house, the work in-house, but they hired a shaper, and they hired an irrigation contractor. And mm-hmm. so that was, uh, I, I don't prefer one over the other. It all depends on the scope and the client. You know, if you have a client who doesn't have deep pockets and they think they can do everything in-house, um, they you probably need to sit them down and explain why that's right. not a good idea. If you have a client with very deep pockets and they just don't want to touch anything and they want to turn it over to the golf course contractor, um, then that's a different story.
1: So. Right? Yeah, I mean, that, and that, but that's a cri- that's a critical thing to, to, to look at up front because it's going to have an enormous impact oh, on your absolutely. operation. And, you know, and and sure, you can save some money, but but what kind of an impact is going to have? Any, and, and honestly, I think I think superintendents need to be very self aware of how many superintendents lose their jobs. To, as renovations go on, or usually right after. And, and let's just face it; it's a dirty little secret in the business that that renovations can be can be career makers or career breakers. And, and that part of that is okay. Do I want a professional contractor doing this, or do I want to commit my own people to doing this? And it's because it's risky business. I think when you commit your own people.
0: And going back to the uh, the who's an influencer at your club, you have to get one person from each click. Every club, every course has a number of clicks. You've got to get that influencer in each click on board with the project. And the last thing you want is to have somebody higher up in the club, whether it's the general manager or the golf professional or whoever. Not 100% on board with that project. I've seen that kill a project. Um, Conversely, I've seen projects where everybody was on board and it flew through and with 100% votes from the membership. So it's all about laying that groundwork early and getting the right people involved and knowing the path you're going to take from A to B and not just kind of flying by the seat of your pants.
1: Right. I love seeing clubs that really are thoughtful about this, this strategic planning process, and they, they, they think, you know, they look at the other clubs in their area, what's, what's the niche that needs to be filled? Do we want to be the family club? Do we want to be the low handicap club? And they, they, they really think about that. Do we want to be a, a, a fun club? You know, that's, that's great. So what's the unserved market, and what's the culture of your club, and then how can you take that and grow that by investing, sure. right? And, and, you know, I hate to say this, but I, I've seen some some clubs where they chose to invest in things like a pool complex that was th- to get more families in. But that made economic sense for them. But nine times out of 10, the investment needs to be in the in, in the big green thing out there Absolutely. that pays all the bills. So and, and, and I think it's great. The other thing that's been really awesome about the renovation boom we've seen since 2008 has been how much of it has been. Unsexy stuff like drainage, you know that that the yeah. clubs are fixing fundamental problems with their sites and infrastructure stuff that needed to be done for years, but it wasn't sexy. So right. uh, they they were more likely, yeah, sure. Bunkers are an easy kind of an easy sell, or you know regrassing if you're in down here and you're sure. looking at hybrids, high candy. Yeah, great. It sounds good and it sounds sexy, but but fixing you know nagging drainage issues. It's really cool to see some of that happening
0: drainage irrigation pretty much anything under the ground yeah. is is a tough sell a lot of times uh, regardless of how you know they see the impact but they don't see the actual product cart paths are another thing yeah. you know some people are fixated on cart paths we do our best to try and hide them um at, at the refuge in fact they wanted to go in and put eight foot concrete cart paths around the entire golf course, that's a significant investment. And that was a big chunk of the renovation budget. But this golf course is going to be marketed, even though it's a public golf course, it's actually owned by a municipality. It's literally adjacent to a new resort hotel going in. And so it had to be able to attract that resort player. So the the feel of the golf course is more open the cart paths were a big part of that in in addition to everything else
1: you know one of the interesting that's everybody talks about all the changes we've seen in the in the bunker technologies here in the last decade Um, there are a lot of new cart path technologies and surfaces available Um, some really interesting ones that are more natural but they're they're uh, they're they're durable, so I, I think that's one of the areas where, where we're going to see the next big technological uh, achievements is in cart paths. And um, the the historically, there's always been the stuff that's kind of the lattice work that you can grow grass through, but it's a supported system and it hasn't worked very well. Man, they've improved that stuff dramatically. So I think you're going to see I think you're going to see green cart paths becoming a little bit more prevalent out there too. Will
0: it happen before Bubba's? hover cart takes over. <laughs> I love the hover cart. So <laughs> then you, like, then you, you awesome. won't need cart paths at all.
1: like one of the few things I ever saw Bubba do. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. He painted over the flag on the General Lee. He painted over was the that Confederate on? flag and put an American flag on there.
0: Was that on the hover cart? Yeah, I, no, I no, guess no, I, no,
1: no, no, no. On the General Lee. He owns oh, the original General oh, Lee. Oh, the actual yes, from the TV yes. show. I did not know, know that. You should this stuff. I'm a, I'm a Yankee I and did I know not this know stuff, that. man. Come on.
0: Well, I'm sort of a Yankee. I grew up in Indiana, but I've been here long enough like now. A no, I've been I'm here down here, long long here for enough.
1: about 10 minutes and I'm saying y'all. It's, it's, it's a oh. I'm, I'm married Louisiana girl. So it, it, it's, it's in my, it's in my system now, but yeah, we 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 do tend to fall into that accent when I get down here.
0: Well, as you know, I went to school at Mississippi State, and when I would go home to Indiana, do
1: they have degrees and stuff there. Do they have actual programs. Still working or? on it. Okay. Uh,
0: yeah. Still working on it. Hope yeah. to get there one day.
1: You pay like with mules and wheat and things like that. And Did or you? Bags to, you uh, sound uh, like the. Uh, you sound
0: like a fan from that other Mississippi school a little further north in Starkville. No, I'm a Jayhawk. Damn it. The um, a Jayhawk. <laughs> but when I would go home to Indiana, my friends would say listen to your accent wow you've been down there so long yeah. and, I, and then i would come back down here and people would say <laughs> you're not from here you talk too fast right. and so i was somewhere around paducah kentucky i guess i was stuck somewhere in in the middle in there but it was uh, okay wow. yeah that's a deep pool ah. um <laughs> <laughs> well you mentioned earlier about uh, social media and we're going to probably wrap this up in the next few minutes but i do want to talk about the impact of social media because part of the reason we're sitting here right. is social media you know you and i i think first crossed paths back in your golfdom days um briefly and then uh again a few years back at the annual meeting i think you were at the uh, asgca meeting when we were in dc yep if i'm not mistaken right. we actually had lunch one that's day that's right
1: they, they were kind enough to allow me to come back after i had done Something that may have irritated somebody very important, and I was not allowed at the meetings for a long time. So anyway, I'm I'm, I'm now happy. I to have be no
0: there. knowledge of that senator, no, no, no. but the um, necklace. It was Jack necklace. But the uh, we wait. We got to pause for a second so we can edit that out in post. <laughs> the. Um, the importance he of so he's
1: a wonderful man he just he just didn't like the fact that I I had I, I, there there had been I, I think an understanding about what was on the record and what was not on the record and, and I wasn't party to that understanding oh, so okay. anyway it was it was it happens. And, and and I think everybody would agree with what he what he said at the time this was a meeting way back when was questioning uh, somebody from the United States Golf Association about how long they wanted golf courses to be. Did they really want eight thousand yard golf courses? Right. And it was a very, very interesting conversation. Jack just didn't think that he was on the record. So right. I understood that completely.
0: No, and I've got I've, I've got a great story about Jack. Um, actually, he's the reason I got into the game. Um, you and a, a bunch in, of people in, in a roundabout way, but we'll we talk about that another time. Okay, we'll do that. But in round two. Um, <clears throat> the. The point of social media, though, you, you see so many people here um, who in years past, you wouldn't think, oh, this guy is a turf grass guy. What's he care about technology? People don't realize how much technology is involved in the operation of a golf course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing, actually, when you look at the equipment and the irrigation. But they've really jumped onto this social media aspect. And there are golf course superintendents out there with thousands and thousands of followers on social media. Absolutely. How would you advise someone, maybe just getting into the business or maybe just testing the waters of social media, how best to leverage that to help and further their career and help their golf right. course?
1: Right. Well, you know, first of all, you need to have an idea of why you want to do it. And, and, I, and I think that, that when I go out and give these, these talks about social media or whatever else, I, I, I look at two segments. their superintendents and their are salespeople. I will fundamentally just say right now, That that if you're a salesperson and you're not on social media following your competitors, your customers, your prospects, uh, uh, influential uh, uh, groups like the USGA or the GCSA or GCI magazine or whatever, you're an idiot. Okay. You're missing out on on a chance to get a bunch of information that's going to help you be a much better salesperson. Okay. So that I just flat out say, you know, I don't care if you're, I'm 57, 57, 56 years old. Jeez. Uh, early on, memories. The early on, Alzheimer's. Go. Yeah, uh, and, and 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 I meet people younger than me. Oh, I'm too old to do that. No, you're not. You should do it. But for superintendents, I think you have to have a sense of why you want to do it. And, and there's two fundamental things. One is exchanging ideas and and fishing for technology and ideas from from your colleagues around the globe around the globe and and, 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 you know creativity doesn't know the boundaries of any particular uh, uh, state or country so you see these incredible ideas you know Golf Course Industry Magazine used to be called Golf Course News and (coughs) Terry Buchan uh, has been doing travels with Terry for us for 25-plus years, going back to, to the old golf course news. And, and it was just little hacks, little ideas. A lot of times mechanics would fabricate something, and we put those in the magazine. People loved it. That's Twitter. Twitter's like right. that now. And to some extent Facebook, where you can get all these ideas. So, so decide why you want to do it, right? You want to communicate better to your club. Remember that more superintendents have lost jobs because of poor communications and poor turf by a fivefold. So, So think about what you want to accomplish with your members, but also what you want to portray to other you, you know, people out there. We have 15,000 followers on the GCI feed now. Um, John Kaminsky and Michael Woods and I got together a couple of years ago, and we estimate there's really about – 28,000, 25,000 uh, total turf heads out there in the in, the, in the globe, in the planet, all the British pitch keepers and green keepers from all over the, the right. world. You know, there's 30,000 golf courses in the world and 15,000 of them are here. So we, we take that for granted that somehow we're the – technology leaders for turf in the world we're not there's some great ideas out there so so my advice to a to a superintendent getting started is just go get a gmail address takes two seconds put start with a, a, a lurker account you don't even have to identify yourself just call yourself joe turf or whatever right and follow people you admire follow matthew wharton We mentioned earlier Carolina Golf Club, who just got elected to be the the president of the Carolinas GCSA and is a a past GCI social media award winner for best overall use of social media because he's just very thoughtful about the process and very consistent in how he does it. Um, Follow Darren Davis, who does a great job not just of promoting his club and his programs, but also the GCSA and what they do and the Florida Turfgrass Association and other things he's involved with. So follow people you admire in your area and kind of see what they do. But you don't have to send a tweet. You don't ever have to send a tweet until you're comfortable doing it. Just listen and lurk and learn. And and if you're afraid, oh, I don't have time for this, just do what you would do with any other kind of a – a thing that you want to institutionalize, just just put it on your calendar. Every Thursday for a half an hour, two, 2 to 2.30, I'm going to look at social media, and you'll learn.
0: Well, I would also say um, a word of caution because there are, I would imagine a few people have lost their jobs of communication via Twitter. A few. Um, you've right. got to be careful because yeah. of the people that can, that, you and, and Number
1: Number one, make sure that it's okay with your boss. You know, right? And, to discuss and, and nine account. times out of ten, it's just, hey, do you mind if I have a Twitter account for the for the agronomy department? Sure. Right, sounds great. Right, well, tell me what you're going to do. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, make sure that it's not going to violate your policies of your employer. And there's still a, a few high-end clubs that, that don't want to have anything to do with it. Sure. And I get that. But the vast majority of good top 100 supers are on social media. So so make sure that it's okay, and then make sure that you've got a a. You've got a plan. Don't just do it haphazard and follow the old rule about a, the old thing about cocktail parties. Don't talk about religion or politics. Right? right? <laughs> and now, now, I'm pretty good about not talking about religion. I'm not so good about not talking about <laughs> politics. So I violate my yeah, but that's part of I your violate job. my own mandate all the time. <laughs> but that is part of your, but, your but job. I, I do think it's, you know, when I first got into this business in 1987, and I'll never forget uh, talking to, you know, older guys then. You know, back then, about 40% of superintendents had any kind of a college degree, and it was, very much, it was very much chapters and social networking and things like that, and I remember guys telling me, you know, yeah, we go to the conferences and everything, but where we really learn is we get together once a month, and we have uh, breakfast on Monday morning at the diner, and there'll be five or six of us, and there's no sales guys, it's just us, and we compare notes about what's going on, and we, we share ideas, and, and, and we really talk turkey. We really are, are right. candid there, and... and and that's where we learn. And now I, I will make a case that that diner is open twenty four seven and it's global. So if if you're not if you're not attending, you're missing out.
0: No, I agree. I, look, this is it's been great. I, when we started this podcast, one of the things that I said we would do was keep it thirty forty five minutes, and everybody said there's no way you're going to do that because you're going to start getting involved in these conversations and I hate to cut this off but we're at the 40 something minute mark and I know you've got to get ready for your keynote address.
1: let's uh, let's, let's let's plan to do it again sometime cuz yeah, I thoroughly abs- enjoyed this and I'm really glad you're doing it. I think it's a really good idea.
0: Absolutely. And I do want to say we didn't mention this at the beginning and this is my fault completely. Speaking of social media, be sure to follow Pat at Pat Jones tweets on Twitter. You can follow me at Lipouts and of course the podcast is the Lipouts podcast or Lipouts podcast. On Twitter. Uh, again, here we are at the Deep South Turf Expo. Yep. Literally across the street from the beach. Yep. Uh, five iron for me, probably a pitching wedge for you. <laughs> and, Did you uh, not hear what I said? Is, about we're going to edit that part out. <laughs> That's driver driver. Is, for me. <laughs> is it true that when you and Guy go play golf in Cleveland, you beat him like a rented mule? That's what he told me.
1: Guy is, Guy is that. <sighs> unsexy he describes his game as unsexy uh player who hits the ball dead straight 240 yards every time uh, doesn't make mistakes uh, i am that guy who hits the ball 240 yards to the right off the tee i've never seen the left-hand side of a golf course so no uh, not not only is guy a better golfer than i am but uh as some people may have heard he's 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 finally getting some recognition nationally for the things that we've all been lucky enough to have. So, uh, he, he recently was named as one of the Folio Top 100 in the country, uh, and, and if you look at the list of people on there, it's it's, it's, it's these are all n- people of national. That's import. great. Yep. And, That's and so that tells you how again how lucky we are in this industry to have, you know certainly not just my team but the, but the, all of the great. Uh, contributors from a journalism standpoint. Uh, we're very lucky to have all the information we do, And but I am, I'm glad to have one more edition with the Lip Outs podcast.
0: We try. I will tell myself real quick though about Guy. Um, we were playing, it was a uh, Ryder Cup format out in Houston back in the spring. Okay. And in this particular foursome, it was uh, Todd Quitno from Loman Quitno and myself on one team, and Clyde Johnston and Guy were on another team, and and we were playing the hole together. Um, So I was playing against Guy, and Todd was playing against Clyde. And I'm not going to say I was beating Guy by a lot, but I think I may have had him down two holes after maybe seven And he was concerned because we were playing way out north of Houston. He was concerned about making his flight. And the entire time he kept saying, I don't know if I need to try and play all 18 holes. How long does it take to get to the airport? And we were were looking on Google Maps and looking at the traffic and all this while we're playing. I'm like, you're okay. You've got plenty of time. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And then he won the eighth hole. We tied the ninth hole. And then he won the tenth hole. And suddenly... We were even, maybe, or something like that, and he gets up on the next tee, and he stripes a drive right down the middle of the fairway, and I turn to him, and I said, you know what? I'm really concerned you might not make that <laughs> flight. Uh, enough so to the point, and Todd joined in that we called somebody from the golf shop. They came out in the cart, and they picked Guy up, and he left to go to the airport. Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know well sometimes sometimes <laughs> you have to help a friend like that. But if him, it makes him, time to go.
0: If it makes him feel any better, <laughs> I was one under on the remaining hole, so he probably wouldn't want
1: any. Anyway. Ah well so, I, I'm sure if he's listening right now he might have his own version <laughs> of that story to share at some point too.
0: <laughs> well I'll have to get him on here. We'll talk about it. Good. Uh, again, Pat Jones from Golf Course Industry Magazine. He is the keynote speaker here this week at the Deep South Turf Expo in Biloxi, Mississippi. Once again, Pat, thanks for coming by. Be sure to check him out at Pat Jones Tweets on Twitter. Uh, that's it for our first On Location podcast. Thanks so much. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I couldn't have been happier to be here, and I, I wish you the best of luck with this project. It's a great idea.
0: There you have it. The first full episode of the Lipouts podcast is now in the books. I hope you enjoyed it. I know we did thanks again to pat for taking the time to be a guest and if you don't already do it go follow him on twitter at pat jones tweets and of course you can follow me at lipouts also be sure to follow the podcast on twitter and like it on facebook both at lipouts podcast i know we covered a wide range of topics in this episode so we'll post links to that information on the website at lipoutspodcast.com just click on the link for recent post and go to the pat jones episode a programming note our next guest will be forrest richardson Secretary of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, so be looking for that one as well. It should be fun. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, why not? It's free. Just search for Lipouts Podcast in iTunes or Google Play, or go to the website at LipoutsPodcast.com and follow the links that we have there. Also, take a few seconds and rate the podcast and write a review. Every little bit helps, and we appreciate it. So, for Pat Jones, everyone in the audience, and the staff at Watermark Golf Media, I am your host, Nathan Crace, saying thank you, and we'll see you back here next time when we tee it up on the Lipouts podcast.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: This has been a production of Watermark Golf Media, all rights reserved.